Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer, and coming to you from our family farm in Warren County, New Jersey, on Cat Swamp Road, a little bit of heaven, 65, 70 miles from New York City. So hopefully today is going well for you, and uh, I'm sure that for the majority of everyone listening that the uh, harvest is over. And it's been a rough slog throughout the country. And uh, I guess rough for many different reasons. Uh, wet, snow, ice, poor quality crops. I know that the uh, guys up in Canada, in Ontario, uh, are really dealing with a lot of uh, toxins in their corn up there, which is uh, quite sad because from what I understand that... Uh, Ontario had a, a really eclectic harvest this year that they had uh, some great crop some terrible crop because of a lack of rain some guys caught rain up there and uh, and it's you know really uh, the, I guess if you have a if you have a, a poor stand and it's got toxins in it it's probably a little bit more uh, agreeable to you than having a strong stand that's really not marketable so our uh, best wishes and prayers go out to those guys. And I know in the States we've had our own problems here. Uh, so, hey, I guess that's why they call it farming. And it's next year's uh, next it's next year's country, right? And that's why I my favorite Bible verse, as I've said before, is Proverbs 3, verse 5. And, you know, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So by God's grace, we will all get through this, and uh, we look look forward to 2019 with giddy anticipation, right? For a uh, a great planting season, God willing, a great growing season, a great harvest season, and and great crop prices. So uh, we'll we'll say that 2019 is going to be the greatest of the great. But uh, a couple of quick things I'd like to go over. And I always do that. I'm going to ask for your forgiveness again because I still am feeling under the weather with this cold or virus or whatever I have. So if my voice uh, breaks up and I have to stop and pause and hit the cough button, please forgive me. And likewise, if I don't seem to have my normal level of enthusiasm while doing this podcast, um, it is not because I'm not excited about it or or respectful of you listening to me, but when you're uh, feeling under the weather, sometimes your, your voice uh, gives the wrong impression for the level of enthusiasm you have for the subject that you are talking about. So I thank you in advance for your graciousness and your forgiving this uh, poor dry land farmer from New Jersey. Uh, let's see, and that's really basically about it. We'll get right into our subject. And as I said in last week's podcast, our subject matter today is going to is called degrees of freedom. And that may be a term that uh, many of you are not familiar with. It's a term that's used in the engineering community, and it's also a term that's used in statistical analysis. And it has a little bit of a different meaning in each. For our podcast, we're going to be concerned with the engineering side of, or the engineering side of the ledger for the definition of degrees of freedom. In statistics, 
uh, it has to do with the number of values in the final calculation of a statistic that are, are free to vary. So basically, you could say in simple English that as far as statistics are concerned, when you talk about degrees of freedom, it's the amount of um, items that you are allowing to vary in your final calculation, to alter your final calculation. So basically, statistically, it's the caveat. So let's say if you have a, uh, during a political campaign, election year, they'll be going, well, uh, you know, that they'll have two or three percent margin of error. And what they use to calculate that margin of error could be in the degrees of freedom. But let's not even go there. Let's talk about engineering. Within the engineering community, the term degrees of freedom is used. And I want to expose you to that because it's very important for you to understand that and apply that to your machinery and everything you do in the farm, but specifically, you know, the farm shop and working with your equipment. And a very simplistic way of understanding degrees of freedom or defining it to you is think of it as adjustability. As a hot rod farmer and as an engineer, I love adjustability. Whenever I see a threaded uh, screw or bolt or, or bracket or something on, on a piece of equipment or on an engine, that means that I could adjust it that has a range of adjustability, and that really gets me excited. Uh, years ago, as a young man, when I was going to college, I also was blessed with the opportunity to take many, many classes up in Tarrytown, New York at the General Motors Training Center. And that was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful facility. It was uh, right at the foot of the Tappan Zee Bridge, if anyone has ever heard of that, probably not, which is a quite majestic bridge. It crosses the Hudson River. And right uh, underneath the Tappan Zee Bridge, uh, well, not right underneath it, but uh, about a quarter of a mile away, uh, was also a GM assembly plant, which was Tarrytown Assembly, which sadly is no longer there. And on the other side of the uh, of the bridge was the General Motors Training Center. So you'd go over the Tappan Zee Bridge, you get off the first exit, and come around right there, and you would be at the General Motors Training Center. And I had a uh, instructor there, Mr. Richard Hip. Dick Hip, and he was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful instructor, and uh, I learned so much from Mr. Hip, and I used to be so excited to go to those classes, and I used to get there an hour and a half early and walk around the parking lot because they had a bunch of new GM cars there, and they had uh, nothing experimental production, but sometimes some pre-production stuff since they would do the dealer training, and uh, Dick Hip, Mr. Hip, as I would call him, uh, Dick Hip, uh, he looked like a thinner version of John Wayne, and he actually spoke uh, with that same timber in his voice that John Wayne did. So uh, I'd be always sitting in the first row of the classroom and be not even wanting to breathe to listen to what Mr. Hip was saying. And back then, they also used to have training films, none of this PowerPoint stuff. They would have, uh, I guess it was 8mm films, whatever, reel-to-reel films that were from General Motors and uh, excellent. Just uh, sadly, we don't have that in industry today. We don't have that that continuity of and transfer of knowledge from the manufacturer to the end user and to the person working on it as was back then. And GM was really the best at it. I mean, they had their own film department. I know Ford and Chrysler did also, but GM was just the most open with their information and transfer of knowledge and their training films were exquisitely, exquisitely done and their training center was exquisite. And so basically, in essence, I remember taking a class a three-day class with Mr. Hip, and it was on General Motors Computer Command Control. And this was their electronic carburetor that came out for the 19, for all across the board for the 1981 model year. But I remember I was so excited because there were so many adjustments on it. And Mr. Hip went over all the adjustments, and sadly most of the guys in the class didn't care but I knew that I loved adjustability because I was a tuner and I like to tune things and adjust them. 
and so if Mr. Hip showed something to the class on the blackboard or on a or on the film, and then right after that my hand would go up knee jerk reaction, and I would ask him how he could adjust it. And he would go, I knew that Ray was going to ask that because he wants to adjust everything. And uh, then later on, as my studies in engineering uh, proceeded. I learned that that adjustability is actually called degrees of freedom, which is abbreviated DOF. And I came to learn the technical name, the layperson's definition is adjustability, uh, and the engineering definition is degrees of freedom. And why it's called degrees of freedom? Because it gives you the opportunity to tweak and modify uh, something. So it's giving you the freedom of adjustability versus uh, having no freedom of something that is a fixed setting. So to expand upon this a little bit and to make it very simple, because I'm not trying to make you guys engineers, your farmers and your people in the agricultural community, and the whole purpose of this podcast, my Idle Chatter podcast, and my website is to give you enough knowledge so that you can make accurate and uh, profitable decisions in far as regard to your farm equipment and in the farm shop so a very simplistic way of identifying degrees of freedom is let's think of an a, an old bench seat in a pickup truck that bench seat in the pickup truck would be able to had an adjustment to move back and forth so that would be one degree of freedom is that you could you could slide it horizontally and you could move the seat up closer to the dashboard or further away from the dashboard and that would be so one degree of freedom and then let's say you had a really good year that year and this is probably now it's the uh say the early 1970s when they start to put some luxury into pickup trucks and you could get a power seat in that pickup truck electric seat so let's say that electric seat now would go back and forth just like the manual one did and now it would have a button to go up and down to raise you higher up or to bring you lower to the floor so now that power seat would have two degrees of freedom because you could move it up and down and back and forth so in essence the more adjustability the more difference in movement that something has is a higher level of degrees of freedom so you could have one degree of freedom you could have a hundred degrees of freedom so following following the uh the seat idea so now we have this seat that goes back and forth and up and down and then later on a few years later they added to it a the ability to recline the backrest and to pick the backrest up so now we would have back and forth up and down and we'd be able to tilt the backrest so now that would be three degrees of freedom so it's very very simple so the amount of adjustability because if it goes one way it has to go the other so that's why moving back and forth is not considered two degrees of freedom because it's moving the seat is moving on its same plane it's just moving forward or backwards and then up and down so the level of adjustability amount of adjustability is degrees of freedom and as i said it's abbreviated dof and now why is this important for you to understand in the farm shop well it's extremely important because the amount of degrees of freedom should be looked at whenever you're investing in a piece of equipment and also a piece of equipment that you have you need to identify what adjustability it has and as we and as this uh, conversation goes on today I'm gonna make a reference to a planter but that's a little bit premature right now whenever you have adjustability or degrees of freedom in a mechanical apparatus you are much better positioned to a to to have settings on that that will work best for the conditions or the environment that that machine is having to perform under so years ago when 
We're going to talk about years ago a carburetor with a manual choke, with the with the manual choke. So you would you would pull the choke closed, and then you would start the engine. You would push the choke open to to lean out the mixture. Now, when the automatic choke came up, and I discussed this in a different context in a previous podcast. So if you kind of heard this choke deal, don't close your eyes. Because, uh, close your eyes. Close your ears, because. Uh, I have, a, I have a reason why I'm bringing it up, is that the automatic choke now would close by itself once you stepped on the throttle to the floor, and it worked off of a bi-metallic spring, and it would have, that spring would, when it got cold, would, would tense up and would automatically close that choke, and then once the engine started to run, it would heat up and open up. But a automatic choke would have three degrees of freedom you would have your choke spring tension all right you would have your choke opening angle which was called the blow off angle as soon as the engine started it would blow the choke off a, a little bit and then you would have your uh fast idle speed which worked with the choke pull off with the uh excuse me with the blow off the blow off let me let me let me correct myself because I'm getting ahead of myself what basically would happen with an automatic choke the spring tension would close it the engine would start the fast idle cam would raise would have the throttle open slightly to have the engine race the purpose of the engine to race was to help overcome internal friction from everything being cold and then also to have a high velocity of airflow through the carburetor to start to open up the choke a little bit so the engine does not run too rich and then there was also a choke pull-off that assisted in it so the fast idle speed and the pull-off angle would be uh, working hand in hand for that engine to not load up and run cleanly and offer good drivability when when the engine was cold that you didn't have to warm it up so if you had an adjustable pull off then you had four degrees of freedom so we had the choke spring tension we had the we had we had the uh we had the fast idle how much choke would blow off and then the pull off setting so there would be four degrees of adjustability and if you had four degrees of adjustability as I said in the podcast a few weeks ago about not having to warm up an engine to be able to drive away, it allowed you to be able to fine-tune that so that you had perfect drivability when that engine was called no excuses. But if you did not take advantage of one of those four degrees of adjust degrees of freedom, degrees of adjustability, I'll keep repeating it so it gets drilled into your head, then you had an engine that ran very poorly or had some sort of poor condition when it was cold. Maybe it wouldn't take the throttle. Maybe it would buck or would bog. Maybe it would stall, what have you. So when you look to buy a new piece of equipment, when you look, I should actually say invest because you're investing in a piece of equipment. You're not buying it. On your farm, you always need to make investments. When an investment, as I always say, that means that you have an expectation for a return on your money, not just a bill in the mail. So when you're looking at a piece of equipment and you're looking, uh, be it uh, a chainsaw or be it a combine, what you want to do is ask the salesman, read the brochure, and look for different pertinent areas that offer you degrees of freedom. So you want to make sure that that piece of equipment has enough adjustability so that you could fine-tune its performance for your farm. And, and that basically comes applies to anything. So let's say, arguably, to make it very simple, uh, let's say that you have a, uh, you're buying a pickup truck. And to be ridiculous, the seat only moves forward and back and does not move up and down. And that may be all right for you because you say, well, I can move this. It only has one degree of freedom. I can move this seat back and I can get a comfortable driving position. But let's say that your wife is short like my wife. Charlotte's about five foot one, a a hundred pounds soaking wet. If she can't move that seat up, 
she won't be able to see over the steering wheel. So in that particular instance, I would need to have a pickup truck that has a seat with two degrees of freedom, back and forth and up and down so that my wife could drive it. Otherwise, it would not be, she would not be able to use that vehicle and it would be a limited use vehicle. I could only drive it. So when you're looking at equipment, when you're looking at a combine, you're looking at a planter, you're looking at a drill press, you're looking at anything, you're looking, uh, and you have to, ca to carry that, to carry that, that same that same theory a little bit further you could be buying a computer for the office and depending upon the software that it has and the different settings those actually are degrees of freedom we usually don't call it degrees of freedom when you're when you're involved with electronics or computer software but in essence they are degrees of freedom so you want to be able to have as many degrees of freedom as possible because whenever an adjustment is fixed and the factory fixes it at one level, then that's like buying a suit off the rack. You could go to the clothing store and you could buy a suit off the rack, whatever your size is, you take it, and there's a very minute chance that that suit is going to fit perfectly, but sometimes it does. You buy you know, a piece of clothes off the rack, it looks like it's tailored, but most instances it needs to be tailored, it needs to have a certain level of degrees of freedom, D-O-F, applied to it to make it fit you properly and to and so you could wear it not only comfortably but that it looks right on you that the pants aren't dragging on the floor or the sleeves are too long or the shoulders are too tight or what have you so as you look at equipment i the new purchase i want you to think of how many degrees of freedom that particular machine or tool or apparatus offers you now, the, the, everything in life is a double-sided sword. So degrees of freedom also mean that you have to work harder. Now, let's break away for a minute. And I said we were going to talk about planters. And if you look at the high-yield farmers, the guys that historically have high yields, and I don't care whether it's... Uh, you know what crop it is but they historically are in the you know in the, the, the top in their area or in the country or in the world what have you in their high yield guys what they're basically doing is that they're exercising and employing as many degrees of freedom when they either go into the field with that planter or they go into the field with that drill depending upon the crop it is so now for you to get the highest yield from your crop you basically have to take that planter and you have to adjust as many things as could be adjusted and if it doesn't have an adjustment there possibly modify it to make it adjustable and you're know, coming from the hot rod community uh that's a that's a very common practice you could have a uh an end, some something on an engine, and it came from uh, it came from the factory, and has a non-adjustable valve train. In the hot rod community, we would modify that so that we could make it adjustable, add degrees of freedom, so that we could set the valve lash where we want for the camshaft we're using. Same thing would happen with a carburetor. If you look at a racing carburetor, if you look at a, a production carburetor for an OE original equipment application is that it had very few degrees of freedom usually the idle mixture screws the idle speed and possibly some sort of choke setting right but if you look at a racing carburetor all of the air bleeds the emulsion the emulsion holes the emulsion the emulsion tubes everything in the metering block are is all threaded and that allows to have a high amount of degrees of freedom a high amount of adjustability and if we had a carburetor using that as an example and it was not adjustable then we would drill it and tap it and make that adjustable so lots of times and the i'm a big fan of that no-till farmer magazine and I don't know if you guys ever saw it, uh, but I do uh, enjoy that whenever it comes. And, you know, you'll be able to, lots of, not in every article, but lots of times you'll have, uh, they'll talk to a farmer 
And he says, well, I did is I modified my planter this way to accomplish this, or I modified my sprayer this way to accomplish this. And what they're basically doing is they're 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 uh, expanding the amount of adjustability or DOF degrees of freedom. So now to get back to these high yield guys, when they look at their planter. You know, what they're basically doing is they're looking at it. They're going to put seed in the ground. We all put seed in the ground, right, and cover it up, and that's how it grows. God does the rest. It's our job to get it in the ground. And what they're basically doing is they're looking at that planter and they're saying, well, hey, you know, I want to be able to put this seed in the ground like this, or I want to be able to cover it up with this much pressure, or I want to be able to have a closing wheel that that runs a little bit closer to the furrow on the right-hand side and a little bit further away from the furrow on the left-hand side. So what they're basically doing is they're looking at their planter and they're familiarizing themselves with all of the adjustments and they are taking those adjustments and they were working with them to get the desired goal uh, in this particular instance of putting the seed exactly where they want in in as many seeds per acre and with the with the proper spacing so they're employing the degrees of freedom the sad part about it is that most people have a equipment that is adjustable and doesn't have to just be a planter even though I was using that as an example and if you look at that the threads are all dirty or rusty or the paint from the factory has never never got chipped off the adjustment nut that means that there's, there was never a wrench on it and they basically invest in a piece of equipment that has I'm going to throw an arbitrary number 10 degrees of freedom and they use 2 out of the 10 and their attitude is, oh, well, that's where the factory said it, that must be good. Well, that's not how you're going to become a high-yield, high-profitable farmer. That's not how you're going to have the best-running equipment with the least cost per acre uh, from coming out of your farm shop by saying, well, the factory said it there, and that's that's got to be good. I never gave it any thought. The caveat that I'm attaching to this is that sometimes the factory setting is perfect but that's why it's called degrees of freedom we have the freedom to modify that for our condition and and our so you may go into a field and you may have something set this way and uh let's say whatever you have down pressure set set for this for these soil conditions you have down pressure on your plant is set one way and now you're going into a different part of the field and the down pressure is uh is either too much or too little and i'm just using as using that as as a uh, quick coming to my mind example now keep in mind that there is a big push towards uh, and i hate the word personally and i'm not politically correct technology you know what's technology i mean we got technology on the farm high tech everybody that was like a manufacturing 30 years ago 25 years high tech manufacturing i don't care how you make it i want it made properly this sort of thing basically so so within the manufacturing community as an aside to this when they used to say high tech that meant that there was some sort of microprocessor control most likely most likely but anyway, but you know, everything today in agriculture, we're bantering around the term technology, technology, technology. And you know, that's fine. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing is that, you know, technology is like bacon and eggs. On the farm, for the most part, you know, technology, you could take all the computers and iPhones and everything in the world, they're meaningless because if they don't have some sort of mechanical apparatus to work with, then they, they're absolutely nothing. You know, and they're an app on a cell phone or an iPad or something. So the technology needs to work with the mechanical side of what's on your farm. And if it doesn't work with the mechanical side of what's on your farm, then it's useless. And the thing basically is that the level of adjustability, the level of degrees of freedom has not changed with the introduction of the word that I hate, technology, all right? What technology has happened to do was allow this level of adjustability on the fly, 
and the other thing that it enabled it to do was allow a level of adjustability it, it, it enabled you to work with those degrees of freedom from the seat of the tractor or from the seat of the combine the sprayer or the pickup truck or what have you so uh, I know a lot of new pickup trucks. I know that Ram has it, using this example, that they that you know they have the backup camera and you could actually move the hitch up and down, right? That's a degree of freedom to get it to line up to hook up to the trailer. All right. You know, prior to that, we had to get out of the truck. So it's not that we have anything more than we had before. Is that the technology, the servo motor that's moving that up and down, is allowing you to do it from the seat of the seat of the truck. And the same thing has happened on the farm, is that you could take a planter, and if you look at, let's say, for instance, like a uh, variable downforce uh, system on a planter, or 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 a uh, or adjustable, you know, from the cab row cleaners on the planter. The thing is that we could have done that before. What you needed was a threaded bolt. But what happened was that we could not do it on the fly. So the thing is that the technology is, or the electronics is really not accomplishing anything that we were not able to do before. It is in allowing it to be done easily without much human interaction and to add another level of it to give it, you know, to give it some credit it's not that I don't want to give it any credit, is that it allows it to do it very quickly and then it allows it to uh, to make changes for the actual soil or road conditions or what have it, you know, whatever it happens to be. If it's an adjustable shock absorber on a brand new Lincoln or if it's a, a uh, or if it's a you know downforce that's that's measuring uh, what's happening with the, with the soil conditions. And if you look at it, is that nothing there is new the ease of controlling it is new and the uh, and the ease of giving that task to a microprocessor that is reading data from other sensors to make a decision on what the down pressure should be or what have you that is what is new but the degrees of freedom are not new what basically happened before is that the human being is lazy and like my planter, I have no no electronics on my planter. I have a, a custom-built planter. It's based upon a John Deere Max Emerge with a custom-built frame, and it's got you know precision planting meters. It's got Keaton seed, Keaton liquid seed firmers. Uh, it's got Copperhead Ag uh, closing wheels, Shoop no-till uh, Coulter's liquid fertilizer. Uh, two by two liquid fertilizer, and uh, that's something else I don't remember. But, you know, I could adjust the down pressure on my planter, right? I don't have electronic way of doing it. I have two ways of doing it. I could set the spring tension, and then I also have the lever to move it, because it's John Deere based, lever to move it and to a different notch, and then I could also modify it with a nut, the spring pressure, so I can make the so I can make the pressure different uh, for each notch setting with the lever based upon the preload on the spring. So now, if you have an, a, a let's say a you know a 2020 system or whatever brand I always reference that comes to mind, the precision planting, and they're using a, you know, a hydraulic piston to uh, to modify that down pressure. It's basically moving the same pivot points, the same degrees of freedom. But what base? But what's happening is that it is doing it through a a, a servo control, and you you're making a setting and say this is what the down pressure I want. So. You know, why I'm babbling about this is that I want to make, I want to drill into your head that, and I'll come to a close on this, is I want to drill into your head that you need over the course of this winter to familiarize yourself with all of your equipment and you need to identify and the degrees of freedom the degrees of adjustability that each piece of equipment has in its different areas. So if you have a planter, you need to go around and you need to identify and become familiar with all of the degrees of freedom that planter has. If you have a grain drill, you need to do the same thing. You need to come around and look at all of the degrees of freedom that planter, that grain drill has. If you have a sprayer, you have a combine, because you know years ago, 
And this will probably be the best example, even though it has to do with electronics. For many years, 13 or 14 years, there was a company called Axel Digital Fuel Injection. And I used to do their dealer training program. It was called EMIC, Engine Management Installation Centers. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but it's a, it was a programmable fuel injection system basically for for racing motors hot rod motors whatever okay and we had this software and i used to deal with the engineers in michigan they were part of dana engine controls that's dana corporation it owns like dana differentials and gears and what have you and i used to go once a month to michigan and deal with the software guy and their engineers there and i wrote the manual and i would also teach the dealer training and what happened was that when I dealt with the engineers, uh, the, th the thing is that they would have all of these tables. The the uh, the the electronic control unit ECU had a hundred different calibration tables in it, and they would it would come with a preloaded program that had some base settings in it, and it was supposed to be up to the task of up to the task of the tuner, the person who was tuning the engine using this fuel injection control unit to be able to tweak and access those hundred tables and dial them all up so that that this engine gets the most power out of it. Well, you'd have a guy who would take a motor and let's say a, a thousand horsepower drag motor and it had the mathematical potential to make a thousand horsepower because you couldn't, if, if you're making more power than the math, then your math is wrong, or your data you have is wrong. So there's the mathematical potential to make a thousand horsepower. And you would give this engine to one guy in the class, and the most he could get out of it is 850. You gave it to another guy in the class, and he got a thousand or 990 or 995, whatever. He, he made the whole thing. He's working with the same engine, the same dynamics, the same fuel, the same uh, the same control unit but what basically happened was the guy who who achieved the potential of that engine the mathematic potential of that engine based upon its cylinder fill rate and the and the btu of energy in that fuel he went into those hundred tables and he took advantage of those 100 degrees of freedom and he tweaked that whole engine the guy who only got the 800 horsepower out of it, he went into three or four tables. So instead of having, he had 100 degrees of freedom, he used three degrees of freedom. He would change the air-fuel ratio, the, the, the timing, and some of the load calculations. And that's basically it. It was a 1,000 horsepower motor. He was making 800. The other guy was making 1,000. The same tools, right? The same everything. So why I'm saying this to you is that, you know, over the winter, study your equipment because if you look at these high-yield guys, they're going into the field with that planter and they're tweaking things. Yes, I understand there's other things that happen afterwards as far as their nutrient program is concerned and, and what have you with the foliar fertilizer, but we got to get the seed in the ground first, right? And if we get the seed in the ground, then and we get it in there properly for that field conditions, we need to use all our degrees of freedom. So it was very frustrating for me when I worked with, I mean, I was I loved working with them, but it was very frustrating for me because, and it actually ended up biting the company. And what I mean by that is that because they used to brag in their advertising, we have 100 calibration tables, and then our competitor grant, bragged that we had they had three calibration tables well yes they had the other 97 also our competitor but they didn't allow the person to have access to it so they gave them three degrees of freedom and the consumer the 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 hot rod guy perceived that the other product the other ecu was easier to work with because he only had three things to adjust so he felt that the that there was less stuff he had to adjust so he thought it was better but he was the guy who only made 800 horsepower from the 1,000 horsepower motor. So I had to pause there if you didn't perceive, because I got all excited. I started to cough. But anyway, so let me put closure to this, is that when you look to invest in a piece of equipment, look for adjustability, look for degrees of freedom. And then the onus is on you once you invest in that piece of equipment or already have invested in piece of equipment to become intimate and familiar 
with those degrees of freedom, that adjustability, and to play with it so that when you use that piece of equipment, whatever it may be, uh, whether it's a torch or whether it's a planter or whether it's a tractor or, or it's a drill press, is that you are able to exercise and employ all of that adjustability to get the best results. And if you do not employ that, if I come to your farm shop one day and I see all the bolts are rusty that are threaded for adjustments and all the and all the, the pivot points, you could see they've never been moved. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna tell you, you're never gonna be a high yield farmer, whether you like to hear it or not. And if you are, it's it's gonna be by chance. It's not gonna be because it was it was by happenstance and also you're never going to be the most efficient in your farm shop you're always going to be leaving yield on the table in the field and you're also always going to be have a higher level of expenses operating your equipment because of not taking advantage of the adjustability that is there and if you're looking at a piece of equipment and it has no level of adjustability then you in essence you you really don't want that you want to and you want to have you want to have the most adjustability and but you need you know it's like anything. It's like buying an exercise machine. You, know, you could buy all the adjustability you want. You pull the degrees of freedom you want. If you you know don't get on an exercise bicycle and use it as a coat rack, it's useless. So, you know, I'm I'm being hard on you because I care. I'm being tough on you because I care, and I want you to be profitable. I and the profitability. You know, the profitability on your farm or ranch starts with the small things. And as I always say, you know. Back in the early 80s, Mack Trucks had an advertising campaign and said, details make the difference. And, you know, if you look at anybody that is the most successful in whatever genre they are in, whether it's you're building your race motors and you're tuning them, then you want you want the most adjustability that you could get because you're really going to tweak that. If you're a farmer, you're putting seed in the ground, you want to be able to get out there and you want to be able to be so intimate with that planter that you will be able to set it properly for those field conditions at that particular time. Right, and in the next field, the next day, the situation changes, different soils, different level of moisture, what have you, that you're going to be so intimate with it, it's going to be so intuitive, but that's going to require you to play with it. It's going to require you for, to identify all the levels of adjustability and then work with them and then see how they interact and how they move. And, you know, and once you do that, you know, once you do that, it's, it's, it's no big deal. It's a one-time learning curve. And... You know, my mother was an excellent, excellent cook, and she was excellent cook. And I'm, and I'm sure lots of you had mothers that were excellent cooks. But my mother never had a recipe; she'd always go by taste, because she knew that every day she'd make. If she made beef stew this week, the things would be different the next week. The meat would be different. The barometer would be different. She didn't realize that. The the water temperature would be different. What have you? So she would always go by taste and tune it up. What she did is she put degrees of freedom into every recipe. And I want you, whether you're a you know cow calf operation, a rancher, whether you're a dairyman, whether you're a a, 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 a have a vineyard whether you have an orange grove you know i've been blessed because the farm machinery digest and this idle chatter podcast has has really attracted a broad base of people in agriculture which is what my goal was but you need but the common denominator is that machine usually does not know where it is yes if you're raising cotton the cotton harvester is different than the corn harvester but those degrees of freedom those degrees of adjustability or what is going to make or break you and is going to be the foundation for you to be able to get the most out of that piece of equipment. And if you get the most out of that piece of equipment, then what you're going to do is you're going to be on your road to the highest level of profitability. Yes, I'm not going to deny other things could go wrong down the road. You get, you know, whatever, get 60 mile an hour straight line winds and knock the crop, knock the crop over. But at least you know that you did everything right. So please 
please think of it look at it familiarize yourself with it get out the pb blaster right and start soaking all those bolts that are threaded for adjustments that you haven't touched for 20 years and believe me you will be very very happy and your equipment will run better and it'll run uh it'll, it'll run more efficiently and it'll give you what you need to what you need to uh to be a profitable farmer ranch Alrighty, so uh now that i got done yelling at you and uh I, you got to forgive me. I get excited about this. So I guess it's my New Jersey personality. And now we're going to go into our special delivery. And as you know, the special delivery is brought to you by Firestone Ag. And they are a company that was founded by Harvey Firestone. He was a fourth generation farmer from Columbiana, Ohio. Harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors and his innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar and AD2 technology. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm, trusted only to Firestone. So today we have a letter, and I'm only doing one letter because I got went long on you, yelling at you about degrees of freedom. And this is from, from Roy, not Ray, Roy. Roy in New York, New York State. And he says, I have a 1972 F600 grain truck with a 390 V8 gas engine. At the end of the summer, we were getting getting it ready for harvest, and it would not start. The point gap was good. The breaker points and distributor. It's an old points motor, 72. The point gap was good, but when I put a dwell meter on it, the dwell was way off. I put new point I put a new points and condenser and now it runs fine and it has a 30 degree dwell. Can you explain why the con- uh why the, oh, can you explain uh what the condenser does? Alrighty. I couldn't read this uh, letter for some reason. Basically in essence uh, the breaker points in a distributor which is akin to the electronic module in an in in electron the module in an electronic system is that when the points are closed, and this is going to be ignition 101, very simple. We're not getting into overly technical here. On a distributor with breaker points, when the points are closed, the ignition coil is being fed system voltage, battery voltage, alternator voltage, what have you. We call it system voltage. And the coil is being charged. Think of a coil as you would a checking account. You have to put money into the checking account to take money out. Otherwise, the checks bounce, right? And you go to jail. So when the breaker points are closed, the coil is being charged. As soon as the breaker points open, which would be akin to ignition module off, as an aside to this, when the ignition module is turned on and and charging the coil uh, is the same as when the breaker points are closed. So as soon as the breaker points start to open, which is driven by the rubbing block riding on the distributor cam, the cam inside the distributor with the lobes, that is when the field in the coil collapses and this energy is multiplied and sent out to the spark plug. So the spark plug actually fires just as the breaker points open. And in an electronic system, just as when the ignition module shuts off. In a breaker system, with the distributor, if it did not have a condenser, then what would happen is that the energy would be uh, would want to continue to arc across the breaker points and even though it was mechanically not on the cam the flat part of the cam that the coil would would assume that the points were closed it would be because they would be arcing the points would be arcing and it would not disallow the coil to discharge through this wires to the spark plug so i know this is a little bit difficult to maybe understand verbally but what basically the job of the condenser in an older breaker point system was to not allow the points to arc as they broke open and to and to uh, accept and store 
that energy so the points would not physically arc because if the points were arcing and there was continuity there the ignition coil would think that the points were closed and that's why most likely when uh, Roy uh, when he checked the gap on the points he saw that the gap was fine it was its specification but when he put a dwell meter on it that the dwell was was way off very long because it never saw the points opening because the condenser was allowing the points to arc and then what would happen is that eventually they would open up far enough on the dwell and then it would start to discharge the coil but the energy was already spent from it and that's why it did not want to start or I should say that the engine did not want to start not the points I'm, uh, not wording that properly that's not good as an educator so now Keep in mind that when you read dwell on a distributor, the def first of all, dwell is a time period. You could look at a, a, in a sprayer that has a pulse width modulated system on it, and uh, like the case AIH uh, commands, and it'll give you a dwell reading. So dwell is basically a length of time. And in distributor parlance, when you're talking about an ignition system, to dwell on a distributor is the length of time by definition in distributor cam degrees that the points are closed and charging the coil so when you are reading the dwell on a on a dwell meter on a breaker point system you're reading the amount of time in distributor rotational degrees not crankshaft, distributor rotational degrees, that the points are closed and the coil is being charged. So why Roy was able to get a have the points with the proper mechanical clearance to them but not have any spark going out to the spark plugs is simply because the condenser had failed and was taking that energy and never letting the coil shut off and discharge and what would be called the field collapsing so that's hopefully that that answers that question if anybody else is confused about that you know please feel free to contact me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and please keep your letters and everything coming in i really enjoy uh working with you and, and answering them and and opening up a dialogue so listen, it's time for me to uh, hook up this trailer and get some degrees of freedom, get that trailer set properly, right? And get out of here. And I want to uh, thank you so much for listening. And know that the, uh, the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved America. You have a great day, and hopefully you'll be able to listen next week. Bye-bye.